you did not know exactly what God was doing, but in this passage, we see that Joseph suffers redemptively, and he can see the purpose of God, and really, the big purpose here is uh, that man meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, the saving of many lives. That's kind of the summary verse of Joseph's incredible injustice, the suffering that he went through, and so that's the key idea that God's sovereignty brings salvation out of great sufferings. And so what we're looking at tonight really is this theme of redemptive suffering. And I think, I hope it's encouraging to you because we know that God is sovereign and he controls all things. And so when we go through painful things and trials for the Christian, we know that he's going to work all things out for his glory. And so um, that's an important thing to think about, even as you're going through the issues with campus and COVID and just all the trials in your life. Sometimes we don't know exactly what's going on, but we can trust in the God who knows. Um, And so uh, I just want to review, maybe you weren't here last week. I I just want to review what Joseph's life has been like. And so we're at the end of his story, but if you go back, you remember that he was uh, the 11th son of Jacob. His brothers detested him because he was doted on by his father. His father gave him a coat of many colors. Um, Joseph had all these dreams about his brothers bowing down and basically serving him. All of this led to a lot of tension. They devised a plan. They wanted to kill him, but Reuben stood up. They didn't kill him. Instead, they uh, sold him off to Egypt. This band of Ishmaelites came down the road. They sold him. He was sent to Potiphar, who was a government official, uh, and he was a he was uh, blessed Potiphar's house. But then he was falsely accused. We looked at last week of rape and and uh, and sent sent to prison. But while he was in prison, he blesses the prisoners, and he becomes second in charge at the prison. Um, he's forgotten at prison, but then finally um, there, there comes about a time where Pharaoh has this dream and no one in the kingdom of Egypt could figure out uh, the dream, but the cupbearer remembered that in prison, Joseph had uh, interpreted dreams. So Pharaoh brings Joseph uh, and Joseph interprets this dream about seven years of prosperity for Egypt and seven years of famine. And in the process, uh, Pharaoh gets to know Joseph and asks him to be the administrator to basically save the nation. And so that's the, that's like the, the two minute version of, of Joseph's life. And so now we are uh, at the point where the brothers have come down because of the famine and they've gotten uh, food from Egypt, and in the process, Joseph has revealed himself. And so now, this is after his father Jacob, or Israel, has died, and there is fear. So, uh, so here's where we are. This is the big plan of Joseph's life, to have redemptive suffering, and really, I think it's one way we can think about the suffering uh, that goes on in our life. Um, Paul says this 
in Romans 5, he says, More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we're going to look at this idea of uh, how, how suffering produces good in the life of Joseph and how suffering uh, is redemptive as well. And so in the passage, we're going to see suffering brings repentance in others. Suffering brings salvation to the world. And ultimately, suffering uh, brings about the ultimate salvation of God's big story in Jesus Christ. And so the first thing is Joseph's suffering and hope brings a deep repentance uh, in his brothers. And so after Jacob's death, uh, now the brothers are exposed. And they are fearful that Jacob is, or I'm sorry, they're fearful that Joseph is going to bring vengeance and judgment on them now that Father Jacob has, has died. And so they, they come and they speak and they send a message to Joseph in verse, verses 15 and 18. They say this, they gather and they say, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. <clears throat> Now, there's many commentators that think, well, was this a made-up story? Did the brothers really have this conversation with Jacob before he died? And did Jacob really tell him, you need to ask forgiveness for your brother? And I believe, I believe that this, this really happened. Um, and the reason why is that as you go through the story, which we don't have time to do, but back in chapter 42, when the brothers first came down to Egypt, um, Joseph tests them. They don't know it's Joseph yet. And he tests them to see if they are true and see if they have changed. Um, and he asks them to bring down the youngest brother, Benjamin. And of course, Jacob does not want to let Je Benjamin come down because he remembers what happened to Joseph. And so uh, they test, he tests the brothers and they feel conviction of their sin, of what happened. And so here's what it says back in chapter 42. The brothers, uh, in truth, they say, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. So when Joseph tests them, they think directly back to the sin they, they committed against Joseph in selling him down to Egypt and pretending and basically making a ploy that uh, he was killed by a wild beast. And so this is like the family secret that is there all along. Um, when they come back, so, so, so they go back uh, to Canaan with food. 
to get Benjamin and bring him down. And so Joseph puts them through another test. And once again, they're convicted uh, by their sin. Um, and what the test was is they were leaving to go back to Canaan. Uh, Joseph had his men hide axe, and it was the sack of Benjamin, the youngest, meaning that if anyone stole anything, he would be guilty, uh, and he would and he would die. And so this creates all kinds of angst uh, in the brothers. And again, Judah says to Joseph after this incident, "What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves?" God has found out the guilt of your servants behold we are my lord's servants this is in chapter 44 and so what's going on with the brothers is they're, they they continually are their conscience is not clear they're continuing to remember their sin and then finally uh joseph cannot control himself any longer and he reveals to the brothers that it's me it's joseph this is back in chapter 45 the big reveal so to speak and uh when he does that um you know uh he says to them it was the lord's plan once again um it, it was not you know you meant it for evil but god meant it for good and so going back here to this conversation i can i can i can imagine that when the brothers now go back to bring their father Jacob down to Egypt. They had to have some really uh, amazing conversations about the lies that they had kept for some 23 years and what they did to their brother. And so I'm sure that Jacob would have told them at that time when he knows that his son is still alive that uh, they would need to ask forgiveness, that they would need to repent of their sin and so this is why i believe that they truly were uh stricken uh in their conscience and they they had a humble um desire to be forgiven by joseph for all of their sin against him all of for, through all of those years and so this is redemptive suffering that joseph has gone through some 23 years being there in Egypt, but what is it doing? It's being, bringing a deep repentance finally in the brothers. Um, and it's Joseph's gracious forgiveness, really, that allows them, and the way he treated them with compassion and love and fed them and brought and said, come down to Canaan and you can have this land of Goshen to raise your livestock. It was all of these gracious things that brought them to repentance and honesty before Joseph and before the Lord. And so the summary is, is that Joseph suffers and he looks to God through these many years in order to bring a deep, deep repentance in his brothers who were just downright evil and sinful. And so this is what redemptive suffering looks like uh, for the Christian. Um, and once again, you know, Joseph is a huge pointer to the Lord Jesus Christ, who also suffered injustice. He was hated. He was falsely charged. He was beaten. He was flogged. He went to the cross without raising his voice, ultimately to bring salvation. And so the application is then, how do we forgive 
when there's injustice against us, like Joseph did, what, what does that take? Well, it takes a big gospel, a huge gospel. And I was reminded of the story when Peter came to Jesus and asked him, well, how many times must I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times, Lord? Uh, and instead, Jesus says, not seven times, but seven times 70, meaning every time your brother sins against you, the role for the believer is to forgive them, to offer forgiveness. It's not a one-time event or two times or seven times. It's what the Christian is called to constantly is to forgive those who sin against us. We can't do that in our own strength. Uh, there's no way. Uh, this is where we need the spirit. And ultimately, uh, in that story, Jesus tells a parable about the fact that we're all big sinners. And the, the only way we can really truly forgive is to know we've been forgiven, that, to know we are bigger sinners and that we need Christ. And so because Jesus has forgiven us, he gives us the power. Uh, but we need to continually ask for that power uh, as we forgive those who sin against us. Um, um, I want to share a story. Uh, some of you may be familiar with the, the book, The Hiding Place, about the life of Corrie Ten Boom, who was uh, from the Netherlands, and her family hid Jews during World War II and the Holocaust. They were found out. They were taken to a concentration camp. Her father uh, died in that camp. Her sister, Betsy, died. There was other family members that died. But Corrie Ten Boom uh, survived Ravensbrook. That's where she was brought. And her life was obviously just like you've seen pictures or if you've ever watched Schindler's List, um, just the brutal realities of the concentration camp, the, the starving, uh, the, the being, being, you know, not having enough to eat, the lice, um, brutally being treated. And in the midst of that, um, she ultimately escaped and, and was delivered by the Lord. And then she basically told this story for the rest of her life about how God had met her and how God had um, uh, given her the wherewithal to stand uh, true to him through this brutal suffering in a concentration camp. And actually, I remember as a little kid, she came to Westminster High School in Maryland, and I saw her give her testimony. Um, there is a movie, you could probably Amazon it, called The Hiding Place. I highly recommend it. But afterwards, she would go around and tell her story. And, uh, um, and she mentions how one time when she was telling the story, I'm going to read the book, she sees one of the guards, one of the German guards of the concentration camp there in the audience at the church. And so here, here it goes. She says, it was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrook. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen that time, since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain, painful blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. To think that, as you say, he has washed all my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, 
and I who had preached so often to the people the need to forgive kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt not, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but it's on his. When he tells us, when Jesus tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. So forgiveness comes out of the love of Christ. Jesus, I mean, Joseph knew that steadfast love. We see that phrase all through um, his imprisonment, that the Lord was close to him. And out of that, he's able somehow by the power of God to forgive his brothers. And so the first thing is, I know that, that was the longest point, but the first thing is redemptive suffering brings about a deep repentance in others, okay, by God's grace. Second thing is redemptive suffering brings salvation. And this, in, in one sense, is the temporal salvation that we see in this picture. Um, many of us will go through suffering again, we'll not always know, but in this story, we see Joseph um, tell what he believes God was doing in verse, in chapter uh, 50, he says, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant all you did for evil. God meant it to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today, and so what is Joseph re, uh, relying on? He's relying on God's sovereignty, that God had a plan. He sees it clearly now. Um, he says the same thing when his brothers were revealed to him during the famine. He says uh, in chapter 45, I am your brother Joseph, who, who you sold into Egypt when he reveals himself. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For that famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. So it was not you that sent me, but God. And so Joseph understood that he was in the center of God's plan in the midst of all of this uh, pain and all this suffering he went through. He understood that God was sovereign, meaning he was in control of every little thing. It's, it's the idea of God's providence, how he rules uh, all things by his powerful hand, but at the same time, it doesn't exclude the uh, decisions of people. And so he can take the sins and the evil plots of his brothers against him to work it out for his good plan of salvation. How does he do this? I do 
do not, in the wisdom of God's providence and his sovereign control, he can take even the evil. God is not evil. God is not the author of sin, but he uses it in such a way as he can make redemption happen and make salvation. That's what really we're seeing in the whole story of Joseph. Um, God's grace and blessing um, uh, in his life. And so we see we see how in his sovereign plan um god's touches all throughout joseph's life that he was really with him you know um if you just summarize his life you know he's sold into slavery and he ends up in potiphar's house who happens to be basically the head police guard for for uh pharaoh and so he's in a he's in a very connected place when he's bought uh, he's very connected to government. He's even connected with Egypt. And so uh, what happens when he's there? Well, like we looked at last week, blessings happen because God is using his covenant people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to bless the nation. So blessings happen. Um, when his wife accuses him of adultery, typically he would be executed. But you know that he was not executed. He was put in prison. And it's probably because... Potiphar, commentators think that Potiphar maybe didn't believe his wife um, because of his close connection with Joseph. And uh, and so when he puts him in prison, what happens? Again, blessing. Um, he rises up to be in charge of all the prisoners, right? And he is able to interpret these dreams, and he knows it's by God. And, you know, ultimately he ends up second in command uh, under Pharaoh and uh, doing the, you know, having uh, uh, the administrative power to orchestrate 20% of all grain is going to be saved for the next seven years so that we can supply for Egypt and the rest of the world. So what's going on? Well, God is blessing the nations through Joseph and there's ultimately going to be salvation physical salvation for the world in this great famine he would feed and save the world including his own his own family jacob and that would bring about the reconciliation so you know i think that joseph spent a lot of time at night praying and thinking like god what are you doing 23 years to think about all this but he finally saw all this, this is why it was very clear to him that God had sent him there for this purpose, even though his brothers sinned against him and they did it for evil, God did it for good. Somehow he can work this mysterious plan. And so this, this should bring us a lot of comfort. We should be able to rest in God's plan, even when we're going through great suffering and great trial. And even if you don't quite understand it in the moment, um, trust the God who understands. Trust the God who understands. When you don't understand the circumstances, trust the God who does understand the circumstance and continue to wait on him, continue to look to him, continue to pray to him. Um, another quick story. Uh, some of you know that my family knows Johnny Erickson Tata. She went to high school with my sisters. She was in Young Life. Um, when she was, uh, I guess, 17 years old, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay and broke her neck. And... Uh, you know, she wanted to end her life. Uh, she couldn't feel anything from her shoulders down. She was a really talented athlete and everything. And uh, it took her, her about three years of just deep depression, wanting to commit suicide, to come to a point where 
she truly believed in Jesus and she understood that God was with her and God was going to help her in the midst of being in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. She's now, set, I think, 70 years old. She's still living and uh, she's still, she's had this amazing life of ministry. She started Johnny and Friends, which is a Christian organization that helps paralyzed handicapped people all across the world. She has podcasts. She's a singer. She's written books. She draws with her teeth. She does all these amazing things. And uh, she's even said that, you know, she's thankful that God would allow her to go through that tragedy because through that tragedy, she came to know the Lord. And through that tragedy, she came and brought salvation and hope to so many people in the world. Um, that's, that's maybe an extreme case, but God works redemptively in his people through suffering. And so he brings salvation. The last thing is this. Joseph's suffering would bring ultimate salvation. So here's the big picture of the scriptures, meaning in this story, we have his family, the covenant family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now the 70 sons uh, of Israel, all in Egypt. And this would be God's covenant line that would go down and ultimately uh resolve in the person of Jesus Christ through that family line. The seed of the woman promised in Genesis 3 would come through the, the this promise and the fact that Joseph was in this place to save his family meant that that covenant line would continue. That ultimately Jesus Christ the greater Joseph would come down. The one who also suffered and also had injustice and was, is the ultimate picture of redemptive suffering, how he took upon us our sins and uh, suffered for us on the cross, that. But yet, through Jesus' death, we have resurrection, we have hope, we have acceptance with God and forgiveness. And so, when you look at this, this picture, it's not just what happened back there, but it's through Joseph and through God's sovereign plan that. The covenant line is is saved. Um, and so we see Joseph at the end of his life in verse 24, he says, I am about to die. And he tells his, his brothers and his family, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph understood that God was going to bring uh, his people, Israel, that family that was just 70 down in Egypt, he, at one time he's going to bring them back to the promised land, that the covenant line is going to continue, that they will uh, conquer Canaan and that will be the promised land. And then further from that, the would continue. And so Joseph is a type of Christ in his suffering. Um, and it's all pointing to the Lord Jesus and his ultimate suffering for us. Um, the, the last thing I want to mention is that Peter, Peter captures this idea of redemptive suffering uh, in Acts chapter 2 at the Pentecost sermon. Um, and he says, and, and this is the idea of, again, man seeking to do evil, but then God changing it around for his glory and good. And Peter says in the sermon that he's preaching uh, to the Jewish leaders, he says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. 
you crucified. He's talking to the people there and killed by the hands of lawless men. But this was also the plan of God. This is how salvation would come about. So again, you have the same idea that the man meant it for evil. They took Jesus and put him on the cross because they didn't want to have anything to do with him. But in the process, God was redeeming the world through his death. We need to offer our sins to be forgiven. And so, again, Joseph's story parallels and foreshadows this greater redemption, this greater suffering that would bring um, our redemption. And so, um, so how are you doing with suffering? Okay, that's the question. How do we, and then how do we go about suffering well? Well, I think, number one, we have to believe in the suffering servant. We have to seek to follow him and his redemption. And we have to ask the Holy Spirit for power to suffer well. Because basically, what the Christian's life is called to is to come and die with Jesus. Come and follow Jesus. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. What does that sound like? That sounds like suffering. Uh, because our sin nature wants to run this way, and Jesus is saying, no, deny yourself and run this way. But he's also saying that if you go after your idols, guess what? You die and you destroy yourself. But if you go after me and you die and you follow me, you will find life. Um, and so what's that look like for a, a student on campus? How could God use redemptive suffering? So how about um, when you take time to... Stop your studying and talk to a roommate because they're in need. That's redemptive suffering. You're like stopping what you want to do. You die to yourself in that moment and you say, I'm going to suffer because Jesus suffered and gave life. When you choose to go to get to know maybe a lonely person or sit with or get to know a person in a dining hall or whatever, or somebody on your floor that no one ever talks to or that's going through struggles, like you're you're taking time out you're sacrificing you're being redemptive you're suffering for redemption when you give up an hour to work on a bible study to ask good questions uh discussion questions for the bible study you're suffering okay ministry ministry is suffering love is suffering when you if you're dating someone when you like when you are interested in them and you do kind things to them and you talk with them relationships are suffering you are um saying no to yourself to listen to another person when you if you have the opportunity to do some service like tutoring an elementary school uh kid from a difficult home what is that that is sacrifice that is suffering you're taking time from like studying and maybe building up your gpa to like say my gpa is fine i'm going to be able to take you know study a few more hours at night but I need to like sacrifice because service and suffering and the gospel all go together, okay? Um, again, Jesus said, deny yourself, take up the cross. Uh, and so um, the, the point is he will be with us uh, in that and he will give us power in that too because we're united with, we're united with Christ. And Paul said this in Philippians, I want to know Christ. And then just go off to a beach somewhere? No. <laughs> I want to know Christ and the power of his sufferings to him in his death and so to attain the resurrection of life. The Christian is united to Christ. Our, our, we follow him in his suffering because 
in the suffering and the sacrifice, that's where the ministry happens. That's where the redemption happens. Let me pray. God, help us to suffer well. Thank you for Joseph and this powerful story on how you are working in it. Bless my friends as they um, think about these things some more uh, tonight. Uh, bless our little small group breakouts. And uh, we give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we're